0: Davis, and you're on with Family and Divorce Talk Radio. The effects of divorce, especially when the divorce involves children, last far longer than the divorce process itself. The consequences of marital dissolution can affect all members of the family and can last a lifetime. You've got questions, we have the answers. We are experts in family law and divorce law here in California. Um, Before we begin, um, we're going to be joined shortly by our co-host, Attorney Raj Matani. I would like to um, thank our show producer, Marissa Doucette Davis, for helping us organize this show and get things together. Um, Raj, are you on the line with us yet? Perhaps Raj is not on with us yet. Before we get into our topics for this evening, um, we are going to take a call. Hold on a second. I'm getting a message. Raj, are you on with us yet?
1: Hey, Vince. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you loud and clear. How are you this evening?
1: Doing great. Doing great. How are you, Vince?
0: Good. Good. Raj, what are the topics we're going to cover this evening?
1: So, yeah, um, we have three great topics, and um, like you said, Marissa, our show producer, has done a great job to align some calls for us today, so I'm really looking forward to speaking with, um, you know, a a few people who have experienced our services and have some great stories to tell. But uh, the three big areas we're going to talk about tonight are especially relevant of cases that I've dealt with this week, Um, the first of which is the family law and uh, juvenile dependency crossover. As some of our listeners know, Vince is a recognized expert here in Southern California in juvenile dependency with over 30 years of experience um, as a solo practitioner. So the intersections of family law and juvenile dependency are actually quite frequent, and so we're going to have a brief conversation, uh, me from the family side, Vince from the dependency side, as to you know how those cases can sometimes overlap. Then secondly, uh, we're going to talk about something uh, interesting, a little more lighthearted, our, uh, what's called the segment I'm going to call Who Gets Fluffy? So th- sometimes in divorce, you don't always just divide the kids. You don't always just divide the house. Uh, sometimes there are pets involved. And so um, there are some special... Uh, considerations to be made with that and um, you know pets are important and and people develop strong bonds with them so uh, we want to give people advice on how to deal with that and then lastly uh, in consideration of tax season uh, we want to talk a little bit about sort of tax considerations that um, family law litigants uh, should undertake and and when filing for their taxes or talking to their CPA Um, as a general show disclaimer Vince and I, we're not tax attorneys. We, um, you know, can't be giving specific advice on how to file one's taxes, but there are some small areas that have consequences for how you file or what one should be asking their CPA or tax preparer, and we just want to make sure our listeners are armed with the right information uh, to go forward. So with that, um, Vince, do we have a call on the line, or or should we just get We do. It? Let's st- well,
0: let's let's take the first. Uh, it's area code four one five, ending in eight one. Good evening. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis and Raj Matani. How are you this evening?
2: Hello?
3: Is That
0: was that nine one. Eight
3: one. Who who's on the line with us just now? Robert.
0: Uh, Robert, how are you?
3: Okay, Vince, how are you doing?
0: Good. Did you call in this evening? Did you have a question for us or did you want to share a story?
3: Well, just share a story. You know, I just recently got divorced and Raj represented me in uh, family court there, or divorce court. And You know, one of the things I wanted to say was, you know, Raj did a great job, but I think the system actually stinks, um, personally. Um, You know, I was there in front of a judge with opposing counsel, and what I didn't like about the situation was opposing counsel can say things that aren't entirely true, and yet I thought that, opposing counsel, being a lawyer, they were held or should be held to a higher standard. In other words, instead of dragging me through the mud or saying things that aren't really true or true to the law, uh, they can basically, you know, say anything, and I have to go through my attorney, you know, to respond, and I'm sitting there, you know, being frustrated, you know, hearing, you know, some of the remarks that are being made against me. And I don't think that's entirely fair.
0: Raj, uh, were you with uh, Robert during this hearing that he's referring to? Yeah.
1: Yeah, we we were there. And uh, uh, ironically, as as Robert was telling that story, I got an email from opposing counsel. <laughs> that's something for me and Robert to go over. But, um, yeah, you know, I was there – I. I understand, and I think what Robert is speaking to is sort of the larger misconception that a lot of litigants have about the process. Um, Family law, divorce, separation is a highly emotional period in everybody's life. You know, you're you're battling back and forth with this other person who you thought you were going to be in a long-term relationship with. And for whatever reason, that's not the case anymore. And throughout that process, litigants are going to use whatever ammunition they have uh, to make the other side feel negative about the situation. And so it takes um, a lot of restraint on the behalf of the litigants in the process to make sure that they don't speak out of turn to um, you know, directly want to combat the accusations of the other party. Because when you do that, the judge doesn't receive the evidence in the way that they should. The judge just sees two parties arguing and gets frustrated with the process. And so, uh, Robert, I know exactly what you're talking about. I uh, I remember all of the nonsense that sort of happened that day, but, you know, I think you would agree with me. In the end, it worked out in a good resolution for you, and um, that maybe that was the best result out of the whole process.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, in the end, you know, hey, it's only money. But, you know, <laughs> besides the besides the money, you know, I just don't like when attorneys who know the law, who should be guided by the law, but in fact can say things that aren't true of the law. And, you know, whether it's the taxes for, to frustrate me Or whatever, I think is absolutely wrong. I mean, the tactics, you know, I'm sure, I mean, listen, I know you're opposing counsel and all that kind of stuff, but hey, you know, I read the law, uh, you know, of course it was the internet and I don't know how true it is, but, you know, some of the things that were said, you know, I remember from the internet and which were absolutely, you know, false. So that's what was frustrating about, you know, the situation. And, you know for me to settle yeah okay we came to a good resolve but you know was i happy yeah you know it's done okay but you know I, I mean you know i can always make more money but the thing is is i shouldn't have to pay any more than what i have to okay and yeah and opposing, yeah i mean when opposing counsel is is, is you know um gotta say, you know, they're threatening or making threats. Um, uh, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's how the course should be run.
1: And and Robert, you know that I'm kinda of glad you're expressing some of this frustration because your situation's not unique. Um and it happens it happens all the time. You know, the advice that I always give clients, and I, I think what I may have even told you is uh, you know when we get in when you get into the litigation process the best way to handle it is to tell tell your attorney how it's going, or if you're self-represented, let the other side say their part. Almost every family law judge in the state is going to allow each side to have their opportunity to talk, have their opportunity to refute their evidence. And Vince is actually really good at this. All it takes to get the judge's attention and point it out, you all you ask the judge is, may I be heard on this issue? And that's the only signpost you need. The judge will give you the time to hear it, and they'll listen to you. Their ruling may not change, but they'll at least give you the opportunity, you know, to say your piece and to to dispute whatever allegations may have been made. So, um, you know, I think we got a good result for you that day. I'm 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 glad you called into the show to to express that, and uh, we thank we thank you for joining us. Okay, guys. Thanks, Robert. For All right, calling. Robert. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks.
0: So, Raj, let's launch into – go ahead.
1: No, sir, I was going to say I was wondering if you had anything to add there or or any specific stories about how you know, litigants can help make sure that they get their side of the story heard by the judge. Well, you
0: know, it, it's very interesting. I was in a trial today, and I was um, very frustrated uh, with one of the attorneys um, and what they tried to do in this trial. Um, luckily for us, the judge saw right through it and, you know, ruled in our favor. But I, I know if I get frustrated and I've been doing this almost 30 years, I know clients get frustrated and I just have to remind myself and I try to remind the clients, you know, um, never get mad, get even. That's what my grandmother told me. So I try not to get mad. I try not to get frustrated. And I just put on the best case I can for our clients. You know, when uh, opposing counsel is taking liberties, as they were probably with Robert and as they were today, it just gives me the incentive and the motivation to do a better job. Right. Because it it makes me want to win even more. But I can see how litigants uh, like Robert and clients like Robert get upset when the attorney on the other side is saying something that may be a half truth. It may be, you know, not true at all, or maybe, you know, some type of wild exaggeration of some fact or some law. Um, I'm sure, you know, that the other side probably felt the same way when you were arguing or when I was doing the case, because we look at it from our client's perspective and you know the other person is always wrong so you know that's i think that's just you know part of the uh inherent um one of the inherent weaknesses in our system um everybody can say what they want and do what they want and you know uh, it's up to the judge and the jury to make the decision
1: yeah exactly i i think i think the only thing i would add to that is there's I think a lot of times clients get wound up in the, you know, specific circumstances of the relationship. And there's there's a big difference between all the events that happened and the events that are relevant to that day's proceedings or the hearing or the decision that the judge has to make. So um, I think sometimes if one of the attorneys isn't hammering home a point, it's a, it's a strategic choice. And, and I think sometimes uh, clients and litigants maybe lose that understanding.
0: Right. No, you're you're right. It's a very, especially divorce and family law. It's a very emotionally charged area of the law.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: All right. So, um, what uh, what was our first topic tonight, Raj?
1: Yeah. So, Vince, this is actually uh, a, a topic that I wanted to discuss. That you know, at our firm, we deal with a lot of different areas of law, but your main specialty is juvenile dependency and family law my my main area of practice is family law and especially recently there's been a been a lot of crossover into sort of which side is the lead in the case how you know decisions in one side might affect the other so um i kind of wanted to talk about sort of how those things can overlap and 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 where those cross sections end up
0: Sure. Did you have a specific question or story you wanted to share?
1: Yeah. So I think Vince, maybe the first thing that you can tell tell our audience about is, you know, when does the when does the dependency or juvenile process have primary jurisdiction, and when does the family law process have primary jurisdiction?
0: Okay, typically in these types of crossover cases, they usually start in family law cases where there's, you know, probably some type of, you know, very ugly child custody and visitation battle. So you have a mother and a father in a family law case, and they're battling it out in family law regarding custody and visitation. And then what happens is one side usually makes a... um, allegation of child abuse by one parent against the other. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, And it's a case that uh, we're currently involved with right now. The mother and father have been having a, 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 probably a multi-year battle in family law regarding custody and visitation. Well... Subsequently, the mother made allegations that the father physically abused the children. A lot of times when this happens, the allegations are not just on physical abuse, but sometimes the allegation of sexual abuse is made. And I'm thinking about one of your cases, Raj, that was in, that ended up, uh, was started out in family law court, ended up in juvenile court, now is back in family law court because the gentleman was accused of sexually abusing his daughter. Um, luckily we defended him in juvenile court and got it thrown out. But going back to the to the example, so when allegations of abuse are made, a social worker from the county that you live in investigates the case. And if he or she believes there has been some type of child abuse, uh, they will file a case in juvenile court. At that point, the family law case regarding custody and visitation is suspended because the juvenile court takes jurisdiction and priority over the family law court with regard to custody and visitation only. Other issues, such as the division of property, payment or calculation of support, uh, the payment of certain debts, those types of issues still live on in the family law case. And theoretically, um the parties can continue in family law case in the family law case as to those issues only. As a practical matter, generally, not always, uh, both sides agree to suspend the family law case while the juvenile case is ongoing. And as to all issues. Um, I've been involved in both types of family law cases where The family law case was suspended totally while the juvenile dependency issues went forward. And I've been involved in cases where one side wouldn't agree to suspend the issues, uh, other issues other than uh, custody and visitation and wanted to move forward in the family law case. So that's generally Raj, how these things come up.
1: Okay. That's, that's awesome, Vince. Um, I think the next part that I want to get into is, you know, when there's these defen- dependency investigations, um, they can come down with a variety of different conclusions. As you uh, previously alluded to, there was a case of sexual abuse by one side uh, over the other, and I think both of us know that often these alle- they're, what they are, allegations, without any basis in fact whatsoever meant to sort of scare the other side into... Uh, making some sort of settlement or, or change, or um, you know, a decision out of fear. And so, can you tell the tell our listeners what the conclusions of investigations can be, and what that what that means for the party? So specifically, when if an allegation is unfounded or inconclusive, or and the difference between those.
0: Okay. When a social worker does an investigation before a case is started in the juvenile dependency court, they have to come to a conclusion about the case. And the the three conclusions they can come to are, number one, that it's founded, that the social worker believes it's true. And in most cases, not all, but in most cases, if the social worker believes that some type of abuse has occurred, the social worker will file uh, a case in juvenile dependency court. The other end of the spectrum is that the social worker does an, an investigation and he or she finds that the allegations are unfounded. In other words, they're not true. Um, in that case, no juvenile case is filed. And then there is the, the middle version of this. The social worker can conclude that you know, the allegations are inconclusive meaning the social worker can't tell whether they're true or not. And depending on when the social worker's report, that may help one side in the family law case, or it may hurt one side, or it may not help anyone. So it's unfounded, founded, and inconclusive. Generally as a practice pointer for our office, we try to get the if the report of the social worker is going to help us in the family law case, we try to subpoena the social worker and the report. But before you can do that, you must file or have your attorney file a petition pursuant to Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 827, so that the, disclo- the these records can be copied and disclosed to the family law court. Hey, Raj, we have yes. a... A few We have a few callers backed up on our board. Let's take a couple calls. Yeah, let's
3: take the first a call.
0: call. The first call I'm going to take is area code 619, ending in 19. Hello?
4: Hello?
0: Hello. You're on with attorneys Vince Davis and Raj Matani.
2: Hi, Mr. Davis. My name is Patricia, and I was calling to share my story.
0: Go ahead. Share it, please. There's there's um, some noise team, in the background where you are.
2: Yes, it's very noisy. Um I apologize. Okay, I go ahead. came into Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, I came into the CPS system because of a domestic violence um report that came in. And um it's been a two-year battle um regarding um you know, getting my children back home to me.
0: It's been a two-year battle, is it? Yes. Yes, it's been an
2: two um, ongoing two-year battle um, due to custody, and um, today I actually went on to trial and was able to get my children back. Um, in the meantime, these Two years have been very rough um things that c p s has put me through the court system um,
0: could you give us, I, a, Can you give us examples of how it's you know hurt you mm-hmm.
2: um for example, um the social worker was not very um helpful when it came to like referrals um they It wasn't, like, in a timely manner. I had to wait, like, one to two um, months sometimes um, to get referrals out to the services that I needed to do. Um, Once I was able to complete these services, I was was granted the 60-day trial, which um, my children were to come home a week before that, um, maybe a week or two before that. Um, they called me to inform me that um, the father of my child, uh, which I have the domestic violence case with, um, wanted to change his visitations to the days that I was assigned with my girls. So at that point, um, I called to complain to the social worker. Um, she did nothing about um, she told me that um, that he was a father and that he had rights and that he couldn't do any other days but the weekends. Um, I did explain to her that I didn't want the visitations to be the same days, but she didn't listen. So I called her supervisor, and um, it was just continuing battle back and forth. So I ended up having to share my day um within those uh, couple of weeks that I had to supervise the visit with for him um and there was a domestic violence where he attacked me and a report was filed so they tried to basically um, put that on me basically blaming me for the situation um basically telling me that I wasn't able to protect my children, even though I was the one who fought them, and them, I mean the social worker and the supervisor, um, more than once, more than twice, um, by complaining, and they still decided that it was a good idea. So today in court, they try to use that against me, saying that I was the one who neglected to protect my children, and um, by that, just by that situation alone, I almost lost parental rights to my girls. Um, there has been many examples that I could bring up, but that was the main issue where they um, they basically set me up, basically um, backfired on them, and they tried to blame it on me, which I had no control.
4: Um
2: today I was able to um finally after two years um <laughs> not put this behind me but start a new beginning by having my girls come home and I, I I'm so disgusted if I could say I'm disgusted by the system because they they let so many things get in the way of supposedly them being the protectors and they're supposed to be better than us, and um they refuse to follow
1: through with that
4: wow wow, but that's
1: that's an that's an amazing story
2: it is it's been a lot more than that to um the actual story, but it was um just so shocking how they would allow something like this to happen, how they would allow um basically um the the other parent, which is involved in the t v case which has not successfully completed any of the services, which was not even on the same level as me as far as um visitation went or or as process or how can I put it or even on the same level as advancing in the case with the girls. They just threw him in there, like, okay, Patricia, you have the right tools to, um, to handle it. If he, if he does anything crazy or jumps in your face, or you can handle it. And it, it's just unfortunate that they would allow something like that. So,
1: Patricia, did you you had a DV restraining order against the father, and then that's when the case started.
2: No, at that point, I didn't. I didn't actually get a restraining order till about um, a couple months ago, maybe, three months ago, um, because he um, broke into my car while I was in court, and um, he also jumped in my face in the courthouse. So at that point, I had to get the sheriffs that are there to have them do a report, I was able to obtain a restraining order um that day. And um they tried to you use that against to, me as well.
1: <laughs> you were able to obtain a, a temporary restraining order that same day and then um how did that how did going through the DV process and this juvenile process um, you know how was that for you to deal with both of them at the same time?
2: um the d v case began um initially because we um got into a physical altercation um which ha- that's how we brought in were brought into the system um having the two different the d v and the juvenile court was very um it was beyond est- stressful um because it was so long of a process and um fighting d p s and their whole attorneys is, is is I wouldn't have done it without Mr. Davis, um, because I strongly believe that they work together, that they back each other up, and I don't know. Is it was very difficult.
0: You know, Patricia, I never told you this, but the um, your attorney. The court-appointed attorney you had uh-huh. when I took be, before I took over the case, he told me that you would. There was, you know, I forget the exact words, but basically what he told me was, you would never get your kids back. Did you? Did you believe that you were? You would. This day would ever come when you would get your kids back.
2: Um To be honest with you, Mr. Davis, I, I. I wouldn't have been able to if I would have a public appointed attorney because um, I strongly believe and it's been proven many times to me that they work together and they they were going to find a way to take my children from me, one way or another, because that's what they do. I feel like that's what their goal is, Um I have no trust in them, (laughs) no faith in them at all.
0: Well, you got your kids back today, and um, uh, I don't know what to say about that social worker that testified in your case. (laughs) She did uh, try to
2: apologize.
0: (laughs) She what after the court hearing?
2: Yes, she tried to apologize to me, and I just, I didn't even let her get that out of her mouth. I just cut her off, and I said, you know what? Today's a good day for me. There's nothing in the world that can make that change. Um, I forgive you, and I'll talk to you later.
0: <laughs> oh, well, that's good that you had so, it in your heart to, to, uh, to forgive her. Uh, Patricia, I want to thank I
2: did it. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say the same thing. I I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your help, and um, I'm very happy to know that there's still good people out there that have good intentions and that could see, um, you know, people in these tough situations that give us hope to keep moving.
0: Patricia, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Mr. Davis. Have a good evening.
0: You too. Bye bye.
2: Bye
1: bye.
0: Vince, that was okay, Ron. first of
1: all congratulations on that. That was an amazing story.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing trial. Um uh I'll have to get a copy of the transcript and let you read it. It was um, mm-hmm. it was quite uh quite an experience with this particular social worker and her attorney. Um, we're going to take another call, Raj. We're getting a little backed up. So the next call we're mm-hmm. going to take is from from area code 424, ending in 4-3. Good evening, everyone, um, with attorney. Hello, how are you?
5: Hi, good evening, Mr. Davis and Mr. Matani. My name is Amela Ramirez. Um First and foremost, I would like to begin to thank you and your firm for being very, um, pretty much being able to take my case. Um, I ran into your firm by by first praying on it and uh, pretty much typed in lawyers on on, on Google, and uh, the first attorney that popped up was your firm. Um, I'm very grateful that I ran into your firm and, uh, getting to meet you for the first time. Uh, there was a welcoming comfort. Um, I wouldn't have been able to drive out there to Arcadia since, uh, I really am rarely able to drive out there. I think Mr. Batoni knows my story, but, um, uh, somehow, I don't know, something had pulled me out there, so, um. I've been stuck in a divorce process since 2010. Um, never had these people being able to move forward uh, due to the fact that the lack of understanding uh, the next step in law and then able to run into an attorney that was able to understand the position that I was in and financial um, assist me. Um, and um, I'm just uh very glad that Mr. Matani well first of all Mr Davis was able to accept the fact that he was gonna be able to accept that uh, case. Um now since the day that I met you and went to your office, um Mr. Matani has been very diligent and able to pick up whatever my paralegal um had helped me with, um, where I thought would have been a dead end uh for me because um I was uh, actually falling into the paralegals' hands, getting all these paperwork filled out, um, just file over file, being um, given to them so they could actually put the paperwork together. And then just where it felt like my ex was not actually cooperating and able to go in and actually signing them, it made me feel like, oh, my God, it's not moving anywhere. And it's 2015. Um, I'm very, very happy that Mr. Matani then picked up the paperwork, put them all together, assisted me, helped me out, told me the avenues of where to go, what to do, that um, actually this past weekend we were able to actually have all the paperwork ready and they're ready to be dropped off at uh, the Long Beach Court, where I feel like it's almost there, what I couldn't do back in 2010. Thank you for you guys' firm and thank you for your um, lawyers are very diligent, very cooperative, very caring, and uh, for women like me who are just in fear, first time um, stuck in a marriage where we don't know exactly where to go when um, moments like these happen, that your ex feels like, oh, I'm not going to sign the papers, so I feel like I'm still stuck in a marriage. Right. Well, well, I I appreciate
4: you calling in sure. You're Ms.
1: Uh, before we let you go, uh, I think your case is especially significant. Um, briefly, why don't you just tell some of our listeners, you had tried to get this done through, like, a document preparation service or um, paralegal service, correct?
5: Yes, I've been doing it since 2010 because I thought at that time it was the best and most uh easiest way to do it but when things go very much like harder when the other uh partner is not cooperating it's much better to start looking for an additional help but like I stated I'm very glad that I ran into your law firm your law firm I could definitely pass the word out to others especially a friend that I have and which I mentioned to you, Mr. Muthani, I have already put word of house, and they should be calling use anytime soon. But yeah, it's, it's 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 helped me a lot. Well
1: th- thanks well, so thank- much for joining us. Now. We appreciate it.
5: You are so welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Okay, Raj, um we were talking about um crossovers between family law, and juvenile law, uh, DCFS, CPS cases. Um,
1: Did you you have some more questions? Yeah, I just want to wrap up that subject real quickly. Um, We still have a couple more areas to cover today, and I know we have some more callers, but um, just especially from the case uh, and Patricia calling today, did she leave out of that hearing with uh, uh, an exit order or a closing out of the juvenile case?
0: No, um, the case wasn't closed. The children were just returned to her. Uh, We were at what's called the 12-month and 18-month hearings, and the decision today was, or the alternatives were, return the children to her or terminate her family reunification services and set the case for a hearing to terminate her parental rights so that the children could be adopted. So it's kind of a, you know, um, it was a do-or-die situation for her. Either get your kids back or lose them. And her kids were, um, I think the oldest one was six years old, and the youngest one was uh, two years old. Uh, I had originally subpoenaed in the six-year-old, you know, to testify and... um, Turns out she was a very young six-year-old and very nervous and not very talkative. So uh, I decided to get some stipulated testimony. uh, And it was very good stipulated testimony, by the way, from all of the attorneys. And I didn't uh, make the child testify. Um, I would have just lost a lot of credibility with that judge. This particular child was not the type of child that likes to talk or be in front of people. And she herself, the child was sworn in, and she herself started crying uh, almost uncontrollably because, uh, you know, I said, hi, how are you? Something to, words to that effect. And, you know, she just couldn't handle, you know, being a witness. And so I just cut it off right there and, you know, uh so the judge, oh, you know, I don't want to make her testify under these conditions. The judge initially didn't want me to call her as a witness, I don't think. But her attorney, the minor's attorney, didn't want me to call her as a witness at all. And um, I, I backed off very quickly when I saw that it was going to look bad for, you know, me and the client, making the six-year-old testify in court.
1: <laughs> I think that was a, a shrewd strategy move, and... But getting back to my original question, um, that's how a juvenile case could be returned back to the family law arena. yes, is when there's a, a final exit order and the juvenile case, a juvenile court's release jurisdiction over the matters of custody and visitation, and return it back to the family court.
0: That is correct. Uh, when a juvenile case closes out usually there is what's called a family law exit order and that's filed in the juvenile court as a final excuse me that's filed in the family law court as a final order where you need uh if you're going to change that order in family law court you need what is the test significant change in circumstances yeah it's
1: the um, level test of best interest and change in circumstances
0: I think the case in family law that controls this is Montenegro.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, You'll hear attorneys Banty about the term, uh, make it a Montenegro order or cite Montenegro Diaz. And then if if Mm -hmm. using that specific language, it makes an order final.
0: Right. So usually uh, when a case closes, you do get this family law exit order and uh, it's filed in the family law court. I hope Rick, that answers Rick. your question.
1: That did. That did. And uh, do we have any other callers on the line, or should we just keep going?
0: Keep going for now, because we've got a lot of topics to cover.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, let's, this is one of the more fun topics that I think we've had in a while, um, and it specifically relates to, to one of the cases that I'm doing now. Um, it's the issue of what happens to family pets when parties get divorced and um it's a pretty it's pretty interesting um because there's lots of there's two two considerations to be made: there's the legal considerations to be made, and sort of like with children, there are the emotional children's m- emotional considerations to be made, and um it can significantly impact a dissolution process when there are these you know living breathing aspects to the case um that are controlling the emotions of both the parties.
0: So, what's the law in this area, Raj, as to family pets?
1: Uh, it's uh, unfortunately for all of our dog and cat lovers out there. Um, your, you know, your man's best friend, your your kitten that stays by your side, is treated just like your couch and you know a refrigerator. They're they're just an item of property.
0: Wow. Just an item of property, yeah. you know. Pets to some people are more important, or just as important as the children.
1: I, I, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is, I, you know, I have a case where it's the family pets alone between this couple that are they've resolved almost all the issues, and I think the case could settle um, if they could make a decision about the pets. And they actually have a lot. They have dogs, cats, reptiles um birds they have a whole they have a whole set of a veritable uh zoo uh that they need to divide, and um it's those issues that that are that are you know sort of plaguing the entire process um and the attorneys are going back and forth settlement letters um all these other things and it's just a question of when the clients feel comfortable with it um you know so for our listeners when I say that you're if your pets are like property, that means the same rules to community property apply. If you brought a dog or cat into the relationship, they are considered your separate property. If you acquired a, an animal during the relationship, it's considered community property. And if you acquired an animal to, say, help you deal with the stress of the separation um, after, then, then it would be your separate property. So uh, depending on the same rules applying as to when... You when a couple acquired any other asset uh or liability would apply to would apply to pets
0: mhm, you know, I think we have a couple of cases in the office right now where they are divorce cases, and um the parties are arguing and spending a lot of money and time and energy on the division of who's going to get the family pet.
1: yeah exactly, and you know this is an area of law that that's evolving a little bit as sort of the public sentiment and awareness of of the emotional value of of pet increases, so you know there are some um arguments that can be made. there's no really guiding case law on it, but there are some arguments that can be made for a member of the family who's more able to be there for for a pet so For instance, if one member of the household is home more often and you have an animal like uh, a dog that needs to be cared for, walked, fed, uh, needs a lot of social interaction, there are arguments that can be made for the person who's at home more should be the one to keep the dog. Um, There's even uh, examples in a couple cases where parties have settled and they choose to shuffle the pets on the same custody as they shuffle the children so that... The kids are always with the pet at the same time. So uh, while the law is steadfast in how pets are treated, um, parties can come up with creative solutions as to how to best navigate that situation.
0: Okay, very good, very good. Hey, let's take another call right now, Raj. It's area code 657 ending in nine. Oh, Hello, you're on with Attorney Vincent Davis and Attorney Raj Matani.
4: Good evening, gentlemen. Angel Arios.
0: Angel, how are you?
4: Um, I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking.
0: Thank you for calling in. Did you want to uh, share a story or uh, ask a question? No,
4: I'd like to go ahead and share a story. And it's a story out of gratitude with us the St. Vincent, I mean, with the Vincent Thomas um, law firm. I've been going through a a, a pretty tough divorce for the past, been a little over three years now. And um, within those three years, uh, I'm really grateful that the law firm has been able to provide their services throughout those three years. In addition to that, um, I ran into uh, some, Um, child support issues, and they were also able to assist me in that area. Um, I'm going to be finalizing this divorce within, well, hopefully at the end of this month, and um, I just wanted to share my gratitude for uh, the firm that all all the support and and action they've contributed and helped me out with.
0: Well, Angel, I want to thank you for calling in and sharing that. I really appreciate that. Hopefully, your your divorce is going to come to an end, and uh, you will be able to move on uh, in your life and, and you know move forward. That's great. All
4: so right, I Angel. Wanted... Thank you for calling. No problem. Good night, gentlemen. Thank you. Good night. night. Bye bye.
0: Rush, so we still have a, you know, about 10 minutes left. Did we finish talking about the uh, pet issue?
1: Yeah, the, I think we're pretty much done with that. And uh, we can move on to our last subject of the night. Uh, and hopefully I can keep you talking for 10 minutes on it. But we're going to talk about, in this, it is tax time. Everyone's getting ready to file their taxes or putting together their stuff. Um, so I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of the areas where family law decisions can impact your tax consequences and um, sort of questions or things you might want to think about before filing or when you're sitting down with your CPA or tax preparation specialist.
0: Okay. Did you have any questions?
1: Well, um First of all, disclaimer, Vince and I are not tax attorneys where we can't give direct advice. So, nothing here should be considered um, you know, direct advice on how to file your taxes. Please go speak with a CPA, uh, specific tax attorney or um other tax professional before executing on anything we talk about today. But, um, you know, there there are two big areas where um taxes impact um the family law process are sort of what tax filing status people should take and who gets to claim the kids. So um, I'll start first with tax filing status. So according to IRS guidelines, your con- your whether or not you completed a judgment of dissolution or um, separation controls what your tax filing status is for that entire year. So the same way like it does for marriage, if you got married at any point during the year, you can, uh, you know, file jointly or claim the marriage exempt, marriage benefits on your taxes. Um, if you receive a final judgment of divorce, that means a JD one or a FL-180 was filed, stamped by a court, and signed by a judge, you can uh, file as a single person. Um, now, there's some pros and cons to filing as a single person, and obviously that depends on each person's status or each person's specific situation and they need to talk with their tax preparer um, in making that decision. Um, But the other place where taxes are impacted in a family law process are in who gets to claim the children. Um, And this can unravel in a couple different ways. So uh, according to IRS guidelines, uh, whoever the child resides with, for more than half the year or for a predominant portion of the year, that's the parent who gets to claim the child as an exemption on their taxes. Um, now, parties can alter this arrangement in writing in settlements. So what happens a lot of time with some clients of mine are or is is that the parents want to be able to split the deduction and not have one parent receive the full benefit every year. So they'll do it in alternate years. If that's the status on the judgment itself then that's completely okay. But if absence um a legal or, or absence a writing arrangement to the contrary the IRS guidelines dictate who can claim the children as taxes and so it's very critical that the parties understand who's doing it, who's claiming them so they can avoid the problems of audits or um potential you know unknown tax liabilities.
0: That makes sense. Makes sense. What uh, what effect, uh, tax effects does it have if the kids are living with the parents 50-50?
1: So that's, that's kind of one of the, the interesting circumstances. If even though in title um, on a divorce judgment or a custody arrangement that parents say the arrangement is 50-50, you still have to do a calculation of days and figure out who has the kids for more days out of the year. So, I mean, I don't think very, very rarely is it exactly 50-50 where the parents put the days, uh, you know, 132 and a half days each, you know. Um, then you would go to the judgment, and that would that would be the place where it dictates who gets to claim the children each year.
0: are there any other tax implications that come up in uh, the divorce and family law arena?
1: Um, yeah, there's there's quite a few, actually. Um, there are implications as to... Um, if you're paying alimony, there is a deduction for paying spousal support to the other side. So if you're the party paying child support you get a tax deduction, or sorry, party paying spousal support, you get a tax deduction for that. Um, If you're the party receiving spousal support, you have to claim it as income. And um, as a word of advice for the party who's paying spousal support, make sure you know the other party's social security number because you have to write that on your tax form in order to properly claim the deduction. Um, However, child support is not tax deductible. Um, When you run the formulas for... Uh, for payment of, of child support, your income and tax obligations are already considered, and so, therefore, you don't get a deduction for it.
0: You don't get a deduction for uh, child support, huh?
1: You do not. You get it for spousal, but not for child.
0: Do you know where on the uh, the 1040 form you would uh, write in for spousal support deduction?
1: That's a great question for a CPA, Vince. <laughs> I I don't okay. know exactly where it is, but but uh, uh, there are some of us who used to do that in a past life who might know better. But uh, I don't I don't know where to do it. Okay. So I would you encourage know, everyone um, uh, to go to ir- IRS. Gov, and there's a lot of resources on there for people to figure out, um, you know, where where they have to file these forms, what things are there. And then obviously your your tax professional should know.
0: Raj, have you ever uh, looked at the Dissel master and the, um, you know, there's a line for uh, tax exemptions and there's a line for filing single or jointly or jointly yes. within the marriage or jointly without a marriage or head of household. Right. How does that, all of that affect, you know, the Dissel master?
1: Well, um, there's two things. It affects it affects your tax burden, and it could affect the disallowance. So, um, typically, married filing apart or a married filing separately and filing as single tend to have higher tax burdens because you can't claim the deductions of being married. Being married is one of the biggest tax deductions you can take. Um, so, whether you file married filing separately or um, filing single. You can claim a filing as head of household if you meet certain requirements under the IRS website, and some key factors in that are whether you take care of the house, what your expenses are in caring for the children, and so forth. Um, so that line on the distal master and your choice of tax filing status very much matters. And then on the distal master, whether you file as single head of household jointly and separately can change what your what your support numbers might be. So um it's critical that litigants uh talk to their attorney as uh, to and have them run all the different scenarios and it's also critical that they talk to their tax professional and let them know like and let them know that these are this is the process that's going on and how to best uh plan for the eventual result of either being divorced or having to file taxes during the divorce process.
0: Mhm. Okay. Raj, we just have a couple of minutes left. Um, I want you to explain to our listeners uh, a concept that we kind of developed last week, and it's the concept of providing mediation services. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so um, our our office is the traditional uh, firm services of hiring a re- hiring an attorney on a retainer, and we help you from A to Z. There's an alternative dispute resolution process known as mediation where parties can come in um, in sort of an informal setting, lay out all the issues that they need to divide in their divorce process, and have that done, um, have that mediated by one of our attorneys here. Um, You would come in and do that for a flat rate, and we would help you file your initial documents, uh, include the filing fees for the court, meeting with us, um, a specific number of times and then um, filing your eventual judgment documents and helping the party sort of informally resolve all their issues without the stress and burden to themselves and potentially their children. Well,
0: that sounds great, Raj. I, you know, we mentioned that last week and I don't know if I mentioned this to you uh, in the days following the show. We got several calls from people who were inquiring about the uh, family law mediation service, so that's why I wanted to mention it to you again. It's such a good idea. The more and more I, I think about it, anyway, Raj, yeah. um, we're going. I want to thank you for being on the show again with me, co-hosting the show, um, and we'll see everyone next week on the radio at Wednesday at seven. Uh, p.m. to 8 p.m., and we'll do this show again, uh, Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show. Good night, Rosh.
1: Good night, everybody. Thanks, Marissa.